Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. Let's talk today about forgiveness. I mean, that's something all Christians are called to do, right? Sometimes it's easier to say rather than do, though. Now, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. You know what I'm talking about. But for some, life's not all sunshine and roses. It's a nightmare, one that they cannot wake up from, one that drags them further and further into a a deepening pit that they can't seem to climb out of. Our guest today lived that kind of nightmare. Suffering from physical, emotional, and sexual abuse from the age of seven until about 14 in ways most people cannot even imagine. Mark Sowersby emerged hurt, broken, resentful, rebellious, and, well, the list just goes on and on. Then one day, someone asked him to go to church, and he heard the message of salvation, and a seed was planted. Forgiveness just didn't pop up like Jonah's gourd. No, it, it took time. But Matthew tells us we need to forgive, but sometimes there are time gaps between knowing what to do and then actually doing it. Pastor Mark Soresby is the author of a great book detailing his journey. It's titled Forgiving the Nightmare. Mark is also the lead pastor at Calvary Community Church. He is here today to discuss his book, to share his story in the hope of touching someone somewhere with that same kind of seed, the seed of forgiveness. Help me welcome to the program, Pastor Mark Sowersby. Pastor, thank you for taking the time to join us today. I do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Now, the first question, other than that brief information that I just shared, the first question I usually start with is, can you tell us in your own words, who is Mark Sowersby? Who is Mark Sowersby? Well, I'm a regular guy, I think. (laughs) I'm a father, (laughs) a husband, a friend. I'm a sports fan. I'm a pastor. I pay the bills that kill the the $5 gas price is just like everybody else. I got teenage kids. I have a wife. I'm just a regular guy that's been called by God to serve him in the pulpit and to write my story, my testimony for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Now, your father was absent during your upbringing and you were right. raised by your mother, but that doesn't sound like it was a very nurturing relationship that you had there. So share with us just a little bit of what growing up for you was like. Sure. You're right. I did not know my father growing up. I was born from an affair. So my father was married to another. And when he found out that my mother was conceived, he he left. He wasn't involved. He, he ended that relationship. I will say that later in life, when I was 45, I did have communication and a contact with my father and was able to know him a few years before he passed, which I'm very thankful for. Amen. But My mom was in her own pain, in her own hurt, in her own abuses, if you would. And she married a man that was 20 years her younger. And that man would come into our home and he was an abuser. And he does what abusers do. 
See, my abuser didn't just tell lies. His language was lies. He lied and he deceived everything and everybody around him, mostly himself. But his abuse uh, was focused on me mostly. And that's when he began to physically abuse me, sexually abuse me, emotionally, verbally, in all forms and shapes. He sold my body to others. He stabbed and, and burnt me. And those seven years, between seven and 14, those, those truly developing years uh, was years that I learned to duck, not grow. Uh, I did not learn to, I wasn't raised, I survived. So uh, not only did I have to deal with the pound of pain, the, the pound of flesh that was stolen from me, the constant physical abuse of the ugliness of that, but also my dignity was stolen, my self-respect was stolen, my value was stolen. Uh, all those things that make up a person who they are was stolen from me. I was left very insecure and fight, frightened for most of my life. Mm. Amen. Did, did your mother know what was happening at the time? You know, my mom at the beginning, no. Uh, let me explain it this way. I My abuse took place from 1977 to 1984. And I like to think I'm the I, I don't like to think, I believe I'm the last generation where things like this, people didn't talk about. We didn't talk about it outside the home. You know, my mother came from the generation. If you didn't talk about it, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So we didn't talk about it outside the home. We didn't talk about it inside the home. And when it did get brought up, it was swept under the rug uh, very, very quickly. So my mom, in a lot of ways, neglected me because she didn't protect me. Now, people will say, well, uh, how'd you forgive your mom? You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Monday morning quarterback. The only way I was able to forgive my mom was by realizing that she was a victim of, of abuse in her own sense. It does not negate that she, she dropped the ball with me, if you would, if, that she neglected me. That doesn't excuse that. Mm -hmm. And I have to wrestle with that. And she has to answer to God for that. But it helps me understand that. And understanding that my mom walked through her own pains, rejections, hurt from my father, rejection from her first husband, this broken marriage, these pains in her life, again, does not excuse or negate what happened to me, but helps me understand, help me understand to be able to forgive her more. So did my mom know? She did, but I don't think she had the capability to deal with it. Mm. So she just did what she was trained to do and sweep it under the rug. Mm. Didn't any teachers or anyone in authority ever question what was going on? <clears throat> Not in those years. You know, today there's a lot of advocacy, support, group, awareness. And I'm thankful for all those, those people and groups that are out there to kind of look for these things. Again, I, I think that I came from that last generation where, you know, what happened in people's homes, people didn't talk about. Mm -hmm. There was always ugliness behind closed doors. And it just wasn't sociably accepted to bring that dirty laundry out. And today, we realize it's not dirty laundry. We realize we're saving people from abuse and brokenness. But those that generation that raised me was said, you know, you don't talk about it. So not until years later, at 14, two things happened. I got big enough to fight my attacker off. I was going to go down swinging. But also I found my defender. I found my uncle who would defend me with his time, with his actions, with his words, and with his love and support. So those two factors... Uh, ended the physical abuse, which I'm so thankful for. Uh, but again, I would tell you, I've lived a lifetime of dealing with the brokenness and the sorrow. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So you didn't even confide this in any friends or anything like that? No, I was, I was so empty in those years. You know, 
to go back and think, how would you do with that? You know, sometimes the healthy mind goes, if that happened to me, I would do this. But I was a child and we called this, we call what abusers do now as grooming. I didn't know that word then. I didn't realize I was groomed. I was broken. My abuser took from me my ability to say no. I'm actually writing my next book and I'm calling it, They Stole My No. When somebody steals your ability, your value, your authority, and leaves you in this place with, with just empty, emptiness. And that's how I felt. Sure, I was angry. Sure, I was confused. Sure, I wanted revenge. Sure, I wanted all those emotions that would go with neglect and abuse. But really, how I felt was just empty. I didn't know where to go. I was just numb most of those years. So, uh, yeah, no one knew because I didn't tell because I didn't know I could tell. And if I did tell, I thought I'd be punished for telling. That's one of the first lies an abuser tells, you know, you'll be punished. They'll say it's your fault. They'll take you away. You, you'll be hurt. So in the child's mind, that's what you believe. So you're groomed to walk through that. Yeah. Amen. Now you said it stopped about age 14 uh, when your uncle came on the scene. How did your uncle provide you the support you needed? You know, he, he, he believed in me. Uh, that's why I call him my defender. Uh, you know, it wasn't a violent, it wasn't a loud, it wasn't, it was, I believe in you, I'm going to defend you. So he confronted those things that I didn't have the power to confront. He confronted the adults, he confronted the situation, he confronted the, 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 the systems that would allow that to happen. And he rescued me. I went and lived with my uncle for a time after that. Amen. Amen. How did you come to meet the Lord? Well, here I was about 15 months after my abuse. I was back at my mom's house visiting and we lived in an apartment complex and I went there and I went to go swimming. You know, when they had a pool, I was a teenage kid. I wanted to be at the pool and the lifeguard was this beautiful girl and she invited me to church and I would have went anywhere. That girl invited me that day. (laughs) And when she came to pick me up for the church, her and her boyfriend picked me up. (laughs) He brought me to a youth group, and there I found uh, my peers. Uh, The pastor talked in language I could understand. The music ringed in my ear. It was the melody and beat and tempo of my generation. So I found this group that that reflected, reflected acceptance, reflected who I am, reflected that. And that was on a Wednesday night. And, And on that Saturday morning, out front of our apartment complex, In my mind, there was 20 cars. In reality, there was probably only about three or four. But they were beeping their horns. And they were saying, Mark, we're going to go climb a mountain. We have a mountain here in New England called Mount Monadnock. It's like a rite of passage that every group kind of climbs it. We went and climbed that mountain. I didn't have money. I didn't have shoes. I didn't have food. I didn't have equipment. But that youth group just called me down and said, come climb this mountain with us. And I thought, for the first time in my life, People went out of their way and made me feel special. On the way home that night, a young man uh, said to me, we were driving home, and he said to me, Mark, do you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? I probably didn't even understand the depth of that question, but I wanted Jesus. I wanted God. I wanted love. If love looked like this, this is what I wanted. Amen. He led me in the sinner's prayer. Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And from that moment forward, the Lord has been my Savior. Now, I wish I could tell you it took all the pain away. It didn't. That was just the beginning of yeah. the journey called Forgiving the Nightmare. 
Amen. Amen. How'd you receive your calling into the ministry? I mean, you know, surely the enemy tried to dissuade you from answering that calling, right? Oh, of course. You know, I, I was at a youth convention. Uh, I was up front. It was the first time I raised my hands. You know, I always felt a little nervous. Uh, I yeah. did not grow up in that kind of culture. And I just kind of felt like the hands were going up higher and higher. And there I was just pouring out all that I had, all that I knew I had, everything about me. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, Mark, I'm calling you into the ministry. And I did what most people do when they get that call. I said, no, no not, not me. me. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. That was a quote from Brother Bob's Bible. <laughs> no, not me. And of course, the Lord revealed himself. And you know, I tell people, God doesn't mind an argument because if we're honest and we're true, he usually wins, right? He always Amen. wins. So. Amen. After a season of wrestling and struggling, surrendering and saying yes, and God just proving himself to be who he is, I ended up in Bible college and got lots and lots of help. As, as I said earlier, uh, you know, I wasn't raised. I survived my childhood. And one of the casualties of my childhood was my education. So academia was something I was always very frightened of, a dyslexic, something I never uh, did very well in. So now here I am in this system that I'm feeling so inadequate to be a part of. <laughs> yeah, amen. You know, the Lord showed me a long time ago that you know whatever it is we had our struggles with is usually the area of ministry we can help others with, and wow. because we've walked it. You know, notice you know drug addicts, ex drug addicts can minister to drug addicts, sure. ex alcoholics can minister to alcoholics because they can say, "I've been there. I know." You know, That's type right. thing. I mean, it's like, like the story of Jacob, you know, wrestling with the angel, That's the right. angel I touched his hip and gave him a new name, Israel, right. you know, and That's the Bible right. says, basically the way I read it, that he walked with a limp the rest of his life. That's the way I read it too. Yeah. Yep. Amen. But it was a continual reminder that he's not Jacob anymore. That's right. You know, now that he's, he's Israel. Israel. Yeah, Which yeah. means in the NIV, because you wrestled with God and you wrestled man and you've overcome. Mm -hmm. So from deceiver to overcomer in a amen. sense. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And amen. he could never forget that the old Jacob was different from the man named Israel. And, that's and that's, right. so that's how you see yourself relating to Jacob in that matter. Exactly. I've used that same sermon, Pastor Bob. I'll tell you, <laughs> I've used that same text. On many amen. Yeah. So uh, that's exactly as, as. I say that there's a title that our, our past try to put on us. When anybody has been through a tragedy, has been through trauma, has been through these deep wounded pains, and I know mine was child abuse, but many of your listeners may have gone through a different thing, a death, an addiction, a divorce, something mm -hmm. that I may not even understand, but God does. And we go through those deep traumas. The enemy loves to separate us and say we're the only ones that's ever gone through it. Yeah. And he tries to limit us and to us see our, our process or see our ability only through the brokenness. And just like Jacob, who could only see his life as being the deceiver, but once he wrestled with God, got touched, got blessed, he became, in a sense, the overcomer. So, you know, I believe the same thing. For many of my life, I walked as a victim. I used my victimhood for for my gain. And one day God would say, Mark, you're no longer a victim. Uh, you're victorious in me. But again, to get to victorious to broken, there's a journey in that that's all about the altar, all about uh, the process, all about the prayer, all about the reality. You know, what do you do on Monday morning? You go to church on 
Sunday, you go to the altar, you say, here, it's yours again, God. Then Monday morning comes up and it all rushes in. So what do you do on Monday morning to deal with these deep traumas? As I said earlier, as you said earlier, I apologize. You know, as Christians, we want to forgive because, because God calls us to forgive. But oftentimes the desire to forgive becomes the default for the Christian, but we never allow ourselves to go through the process, the psychological, the emotional, the physical, and the spiritual process to be able to forgive with all my heart. You know, you've seen it. You go to church, sit in somebody's seat. That, oh that's, yeah. Oh, that's old a, that's man a, rises up, brother. Yeah, you know, that's my yeah, seat. Boy. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's, that's the unforgivable sin right there. Right. <laughs> Some churches, man, right. man. you know, it, it's kind of like, how can I say this, Lord? The, when, here's a, here's an illustration I've used. This will explain it. Little boy, about five, six years old. You know, at the end of church services, some denomination, the pastor will walk to the back of the church, shake everybody's hand as they're leaving. And this little boy is tugging on the pastor's coat and, you know, he's shaking everybody's hands. Nice sermon, pastor, all this stuff. And he says, yes, Johnny, what can I do for you? He goes, I've talked to Jesus. Oh, that's good. You know, have a blessed day. Right. Next Sunday, same thing. I've talked to Jesus. Goes, okay, Johnny, I understand. You know, that's good. Next Sunday, say, I've talked. Okay, Johnny, look. Are you really talking to Jesus? You just saying it. Oh, I've talked to Jesus. Okay, next time you talk to Jesus, when I was your age, I did a very, very, very bad thing. Ask Jesus what it was, and then come back and tell me. <laughs> next Sunday, he's tugging on the pastor's coat again. Okay, did you talk to Jesus? Yep. Did you ask? Did you ask him the question I I had for you? Yep. And what did Jesus say? He said to tell you that he forgot. Ah, you know? <laughs> I was like, oh boy, I remember that story. I heard that in Bible school way back 27 years ago, and I remembered it. Oh, I mean, you know, that, that, that's a that, good picture, though. Jesus doesn't remember, he yeah. doesn't remember, he helps us to forgive. Yeah. But the trauma sometimes we go through, brother, you know, my life from the ages of seven to 14, I was raped, yeah. stabbed, beaten, and burnt. Mm. almost daily. So I could not forget. I thank God that God has not held it against me or, or he's helped me forgive those that, mm. that, that trespass against me. But I wouldn't be honest intellectually with you to say, I've forgotten that. Right. Part of my narrative, part of my narrative is that I was an abused victim. Now, let me say it this way. That's a part of my past. It doesn't have to be my identity. Right. Amen. My identity is not abuse victim, but I would not be honest with you if I said I forgot. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what happened in my life, brother, let me just put it this way. I was waiting for the day that I would wake up in that mountain of hurt, that Everest of hurt in my life of rejection and fear and pain and insecurities and lies and inabilities would all go away. Yeah. And even today I wake up and sometimes that mountain tries to rise up. But that mountain of pain and hurt, rejection, was the Everest that shined its its shadow over everything I did for many years of my life. Shined its shadow in in my ministry. Shined its shadow in my Bible in Bible college years. Shined its shadow upon me. Mm. To be honest, brother, still to this day. So I wish I could say, you know, it's gone. Right. And it's over. It's not. It's right. still there. It's what right. happened? What happened? And this is what I want you to hear. This it happened, and, and I want to be real honest. I'm very sober and let you know, I realize how big that mountain of abuse, 
pain and sorrow is. It's huge. Mm -hmm. But what happened in my life is God became bigger. Amen. The mountain of God's Amen. grace, mercy, and love. So even though that God did not remove that mountain of hurt and pain, you know, that still tries to drag me down there, there's triggers in my life and sounds and memories. And when they rise up and they do, God reminds me, my word is bigger. My spirit is bigger. My love is bigger. My calling is bigger. My grace is bigger. My anointing is bigger. So, so God becomes bigger. So that mountain, yeah, it's still there. But it doesn't own me anymore. Amen. The mountain of God that shadows his light upon everything I do now is yeah, what yeah. owns me. And I think Amen. I think many victims go through the day waiting for it all to be gone. And maybe for some it happens. For me, it hasn't. And that's why I feel like I'm like David someday. David said, I have to walk through the valley and the shadow of death and fear no evil. I got to walk through some valleys, but I fear no evil because God is with me. Amen. Amen. When you were describing that, I'm picturing in my mind, you know, the picture like you see in some of the, the murals and stuff, you know, this big mountain in the background, right? And okay. then you say, you know, God's bigger than that. So I'm, I'm visualizing this mountain coming up behind that one that is so huge. It makes this one look like a exactly. molehill. You know? Exactly. And then exactly. now when you're looking at that mountain of what you went through, you're looking at, yeah, but my God's bigger. You know, Boom. That, that's exactly what happened. That mouth. Now, again, when you go through deep trauma and you've had things robbed from you, yeah, not only a pound of flesh, your dignity, your self-respect, your value, your, your confidence, when those things are taken from you, uh, the you just feel empty. But when God restores, Amen. when he turns the heart of stone to a heart of flesh, when he transforms the mind and renews the spirit, and it's slowly, you know, I know the scripture, uh, give me a, a, a seed, a mustard seed of faith can move a mountain. I didn't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. So God had to start real slow with me. He said, Mark, can your faith move a pebble? I said, my faith in you can move a pebble. And we moved it. He said, Mark, my having faith in me can help you move a, a rock and having faith in me can help you move a stone and having faith in me can help you move a boulder and having faith in me help you move a hill. And it was a lifetime of trusting more and more and more and more. And one day in my fifties, the Lord would say, come, let's go move that mountain. And, and I said, God, I still can't move it. It's too big. And he said, how'd you move the pebble? How'd you move the stone? How'd you move the rock, the boulder, the hill? God, you were there and I will be there Praise with God. So it's step by step, because when you go through trauma, brother, one of the first things that's stolen from you is your trust. Mm -hmm. I grew up with deception. I grew up with a liar. I grew up in and I did not want to serve man's rules. I didn't want to serve a religious system. I wanted God. And yeah. at 16, when he became my Lord and Savior, I, I said, God, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to read the Bible. But I want you to lead me. If you're real, and he is, then you'll lead me. Man's got its system. Now, hey, I'm a pastor. I pastor in the organized church. I'll tell you, I've never met a perfect church. I've never met a perfect person in the church. Uh, I've met some good people, not perfect people. But I'll tell you, the church, I believe, can serve that perfect God. Amen? Yeah, amen. I mean, I heard Kenneth Copeland say before, if you're looking for a perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it. <laughs> why did you write your book forgiving the nightmare at this point in your life well to be honest with you this was the season god released me to do it uh forgiving the nightmare was given to me in my early 20s at an altar where 
I wrestled with God again. And the Lord said, you'll write your book. You'll you'll write your testimony down. I, I didn't. I didn't have enough faith for that. I said, Lord, if this is really you, what will I call it? And there in my early 20s, he said, you'll call it forgiving the nightmare. So there's been a lot of expressions in my life about forgiving the nightmare. I've pastored churches that have been broken. I've come beside people that have been hurting. And there's always been a reflection of it. But upon my mom's death, uh, the Lord released me to be able to write this book, uh, to put pen to paper. I ran from it because my inabilities. And God said, just trust me again. And we put pen to paper. I spilt myself all over the pages. I don't think I used a capital or a period for the first you know, 50 pages. And I handed it to my wife who graduated with more colors around her neck than a Christmas tree. And she was able to, to turn it into something that was legible. And God just started to put people in our life, a, an editor, a, a, you know, all these people that would help me write the book. And now the book's out there. And really, my hope with the book is twofold. Not only do I share my testimony, but in the back of the book, I use what I call trail markers. I really like to hike. Maybe that's why I see things in mountains. I like to hike. And and when you're hiking, you got to follow the trail. Mm. Not you get lost or you end up somewhere you don't want to be. And there's all these little trail markers and you have to pay attention to them. And in my life, God used that symbolization to say, Mark, here's some things I have before you to keep you on the straight and narrow. And for me, things like prayer, things like the word of God, things like praise, things like uh, being honest, having friends, you know, having real friends mm-hmm. that can say, um, hey, you know, you need a tic-tac, you know, those kind of friends, you know, yeah. that can really hey, yeah. friends and learning to forgive. Uh, and I, I want to be really simple when I say this. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors like we love ourselves. I didn't love myself for a while. So you didn't want me to love love you like I love myself because I didn't mm. love myself. But yeah, when I yeah. love Jesus, I was able to love myself. So there's different steps I take. And to real be really honest about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is uh, not forgive and forget. Now God forgets. But for us, again, when you have been raped, it, you know, to say, forgive and forget, brother. Forgiveness doesn't mean I'm letting my my abuser off the hook. I still seek justice. Forgiveness doesn't mean that now I want to have uh, kumbaya moments. You know, I can have uh, healthy boundaries between those that abused me and hurt me. Forgiveness doesn't mean it's a one-time affair. For Christ, it was. But sometimes for us, as we grow, uh, we have to learn to forgive deeper and deeper and more and more. So forgiveness is a constant process in my life. And I think there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Yeah, uh, You yeah, can have forgiveness without reconciliation. And I think sometimes as the church, we, we combine the two. And I don't know if that's the way it is in the kingdom. I think sometimes you can say, I've forgiven you. And if the Lord leads and does a miracle, <laughs> then maybe there could be reconciliation. Yeah. I can always forgive through Jesus Christ. And the journey's hard and it's ugly, but it's beautiful and sweet but they may not and doesn't always have to be reconciliation. Yeah, amen. Hey, folks, this is Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for today's portion of this great interview. We've been talking with Pastor Mark Sowersby 
uh, his book Forgiving the Nightmare, where he details the the basically horrific upbringing of his childhood, and how the Lord has brought him to the place where he can now help others through his testimony. And as he said in part one, forgiveness does not always equal reconciliation. I mean, meaning uh, you need to forgive those that did whatever to you, but that also means you use wisdom. It doesn't mean you have to go back and hang out and act as if nothing ever happened. Amen. Use wisdom. Use godly wisdom. Uh, this has just been the first part of this great two-part interview with Pastor Mark. And in part two, you're going to hear him say that exact same thing again. That's how important this is. And I want you to understand that. I mean, if someone's done something to you or, or your child, let's say, you can forgive, but that does not mean you call them back up and come over and babysit your child again. Amen? Use wisdom in this, folks. Pastor Mark is making this book available to help those that are hurt those that may know someone who's been hurt, etc. I encourage you, drop down into the show notes right now and order your copy of Pastor Mark Sowersby's book, Forgiving the Nightmare, right now. Amen. Be sure to come back for the conclusion of our great interview in the next episode. Till next time, it's Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. 
Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success. Thank you.